Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, especially those disconnected from Christ. And we hope you are encouraged by today's message. When I was, uh, when I was growing up, our family moved around a lot. We had, uh, my dad and mom had a job where we moved every four years or so. Uh, it was ministry job, but it had term limits. Uh, and so we would move to a place and we would know that we were moving again four years later. And so uh, we, we moved around a lot. I, I went to five different schools between kindergarten and, and 12th grade, which is not a lot compared to some of you guys. Every time I tell people, you know, kind of, yeah, we moved every four years. I'm like, oh, you were in the military? No, we were in the ministry. It was kind of the same thing. So, um, but I went to a kindergarten and then we moved and then I went to first through fourth grade somewhere and then we moved and then I went to fifth through seventh grade somewhere and then we moved and then I went eighth through 11th grade somewhere and then we moved and then we moved the day before my senior year, and I went to a senior, my 12th grade year somewhere else, and then we, and then I eventually moved back to school, uh, to college. And so, um, you know, I moved around a lot, but moving around a lot meant that you always had to kind of, I don't know, earn your keep in a new place. You had to kind of prove yourself. You had to show people who you were and what you were. And, you know, I remember one of the most difficult moves, uh, there were a couple, They're, they weren't all difficult. I don't really remember the one, you know, between kindergarten and first much. I remember it, but I don't remember it a ton. One of the most difficult moves was the move between fourth grade and fifth grade. Now, that summer was awesome. That was the first year that I went out on the mission field, and so I got to go with my dad, and we went to Europe, and uh, we went to, to, uh, into Russia, and that was when the coup happened, and Mikhail Gorbachev was ousted, and it was incredible. I, I got a great grade on my, what I did on my summer vacation paper, and so I love that, but Moving, I had been an all-star in baseball in fourth grade at where we lived prior, and then we moved to a new place for fifth grade, and it was like a new state, and nobody knew me, and they didn't know if I could play baseball, and, they didn't, and baseball was kind of my life. And so, you know, being an all-star in fourth grade and being like a good athlete, when we were having recess at school and they were picking the teams for like kickball or some athletic, you know, endeavor, I was always, you know, one of the top picks. I'm not claiming to be the top pick, though I usually was. I, I was one of the top, and, and, and very humble too. I was always the most humble person that I'd ever met. But... <laughs> Some of you will get that later. But I, I, I was, you know, you know, usually one of the top picks. And so we'd pick for kickball and be like, I'll take Jeremy. And, and then they'd pick everybody else. And so, you know, that's how it went in fourth grade. But I got to fifth grade and it was a new place, new school, new state. Nobody knew me. And I remember, I, I vividly remember walking out. The playground was not on the back of the school. It was kind of to the side of the school. And there were, you know, basketball goals. And there were, you know, there was a little paved basketball court. And it had faded, you know, lines for a free throw and three point and half court. And they were kind of faded and they hadn't been updated in a while. And then Right beyond that, there was this grass field, and there was like a chain link fence that had made a backstop for some baseball or softball diamond at some point, but it had, you know, just kind of in disrepair, and it wasn't really used. And so we played kickball there just about every day of fifth grade when it wasn't raining or too cold to play. And I showed up the first day, and we went out, and we were going to play kickball, and I remember you know how, if you remember that scene on the school playground, everybody kind of lines up and you know who, you know, alpha dogs are because they become the captains. And, and, and so they're going to pick the teams. And I, and I remember standing there trying to look athletic, <laughs> trying to look like I know what I'm doing, you know, so I'm, I'm warming up my quad, you know, I mean, I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm you know, yeah, I mean, I'm a bowler. I don't know what that move is. So I was I was, I remember, I mean, I'm not kidding. I, I promise you, I remember that day in fifth grade and I remember them picking teams. And so they picked the guys that were, you know, they knew their friends and, you know, there were some girls that had played there. And so they were playing, they picked some of the girls and, and then, you know, they picked some of the other, you know, like third graders, I think that were out there on recess with us. And 
you know, maybe some kindergartners or something, and, you know, I'm still standing over there kind of by the fence, and I'm, I'm hanging out, and I'm waiting to be picked, and, and, and they were like, okay, and then, you know, there's like two of us left, and, I, and I'm looking him up, and I'm like, I'm better than this guy, surely, you know, and they're like, all right, I'll take the kid with one leg, and you can have the new kid, and you think I'm being mean about a kid. He really did have one leg. It was partial from the knee down. It was, it was like a prosthetic. And I'm thinking, in my fifth grade mind, I'm thinking, they just took in kickball. You, you have to be able to plant and kick. And they, I'm last. They picked me last. And I told my parents that afternoon, I don't want to live here anymore. <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, these people just don't know. They just don't know what I'm capable of. They don't know how good I am. And so you know what I did that day? I tried really hard to make every play. Ball went up, wasn't even my ball. I was knocking people out of the way to catch the ball, and I'm swinging for the fence. You know, I popped up a couple times. I was kicking too hard. And I remember that day trying to impress people with what I could do because I knew on the inside of me what I was capable of, even if they didn't know what I was capable of. I remember that day. I remember my senior year of high school. We moved on a Sunday. School started on Monday. And I had played on the varsity baseball team in my old school, in the old state, and, and, and I'd been pretty successful. I'd started varsity baseball. And I show up, and the school's much larger, and there's a lot of really athletic people. And, and I thought, man, I don't even know. I, I, we had driven down to register for school, and I had made a point to go and introduce myself to the baseball coach. Said, so, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm transferring here, I'm moving here and, and, uh, from out of state, and I'd, I'd love to play baseball. I don't know, you know, you may already have your team set, but I'd love to play baseball. He said, absolutely. He said, come out. He said, the first day of school, we have fall tryouts. He said, some of our football players will be playing football, but everybody that doesn't play football will play on the fall team, and we play against other area schools. And I was like, great. So I went out that day, and, and I had a, a hat that I had gotten, I don't even remember where I got it, but I got it at a store, and it was uh, from the 96 Olympics, uh, and it was a USA baseball hat. And so I wore it that day, not thinking that when I went out there, and I, I did pretty well, that there were some younger kids that thought, did this guy play for USA Baseball? And, and I didn't correct them. I just, I, just, I just let them think what they wanted to think, because I wanted them to think that I was good enough definitely to make this team. If I'd played USA Baseball, surely I was good enough for this high school team, right? Because I remember what it felt like trying to convince people what I was capable of. Well, today what we want to do is we want to conclude this series we've been in for the last couple of weeks called Addicted. And again, I said just a few minutes ago during the prayer, we, we talked about, you know, addicted to pleasure and some of the, the different things that that might entail. We talked about addicted to busy. And today we're going to talk about something that we've just entitled Addicted to Social Status, Addicted to social status, and we'll unpack what that means, but over the last few weeks, we have used the same definition of addiction, and I want to start with that today, just so we're all on the same page. When we talk about addiction, this is what we mean. Addiction is an individual pathologically pursuing reward and or relief by substance use and other behaviors. Addiction is characterized by inability to consistently abstain impairment in behavioral control, craving, diminished recognition of significant problems with one's behavior and interpersonal relationships, and a dysfunctional emotional response. Like other chronic diseases, addiction often involves cycles of relapse and remission. So we're talking about that pursuit of reward and or relief. 
And so when we're talking about social status, if you look at the definition of that, we're talking about a person's standing or importance in relation to other people within a society. Their standing or importance in relation to other people within a society. So I'm standing on the fence wanting to get picked for kickball, and so I am trying to elevate my status in comparison to the other people in the kickball society, right? In our lives every single day, we are trying to elevate our status, our standing, our importance in relation to other people within our spheres of influence or circles of society that we're a part of. So we're specifically looking at this pursuit of improving our standing or improving our importance throughout our lives. And I don't think that there's an age that you exempt out of this. I don't think that there's, you know, you get so much confidence that you no longer care what people think about you. I do think that it becomes diminished sometimes. I think when you carry a lot of confidence, when you're in an environment where people are affirming you and helping you to see your value and helping you to see your worth, maybe you don't worry as much about what other people think. But I know that there are people, I've talked to them, that are, are well on in age, and it's not an age thing. They'll say they still struggle with this issue. We know that this is an issue for those that are students or maybe young adults because we see this throughout culture and studies, which we'll talk about in a minute. So what creates standing or importance in a society? What creates standing or importance in a society? Well, I think really two things. I think two things create standing or importance. One is your personal performance, you do something, you, you play well in kickball, you play well in a sport, you do well on your job, you, you perform well, and so people see that you are somebody that has something to contribute. They, they look at you as someone that's important or has good standing or has good skill, and that elevates you. That, that helps you to have a, a higher status, a higher, a, a pre, people appreciate you a higher degree than maybe they did before. The second thing that creates standing or importance is just people's perception of you. You walk out on the field with a USA baseball hat on, they assume by perception that maybe you have skills, maybe you can do something. They look at you, you seem to be very, very organized. It doesn't even matter if you've made your first presentation on your job. The fact that you've met your first three deadlines, they go, well, this is a together type of person. You show up and you have you know, really good office supplies, maybe. You show up and you have like a good binder on the first day of school with lots of neat organized notes and notebooks. They go, okay, my perception of you is that you're organized, that you have it all together, that there's something about you, but you're you're going to find success here. So the two things that I see that most often help to create standing or importance is your performance and people's perception. The problem comes in life when we begin performing to generate their perception. The problem comes when we begin performing to generate their perception. Not trying to live authentically, not just trying to do our best because it is our best and it is what is required of us, but we perform. Addiction really happens and problems really arise when we begin doing something only so that it creates a perception of others about us. When we're living our lives somewhat inauthentically so that people think things about us that may or may not be true. The, the easiest place to see this play out is online. In the present culture, in the present day, there are tons of social media networks. I actually heard about a brand new one the other day, didn't know anything about it. My kids were watching YouTube Kids, and the people that they were watching on YouTube Kids said, hey, come follow us on, and they named it, I can't even remember it now, and, and Branson was like, hey, I want to go follow them. I'm like, no, 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 I don't even know what that is. We're going to wait on that. We're, I'm going to figure out what that is first before you do that. seems like they're popping up all over the place. But online, you have the ability to create 
a false sense of who you actually are. You say, well, that's not true. I mean, it's really kind of your life. And I know some people, they use the different social media networks for different reasons. Some of them are used really for pro- professional connection. They, they want to connect to people in their job or in their field, and, and that's, that's well and good. Others use different social media networks to catalog their life. They use it as almost like an online scrapbook. And so they post pictures or they post thoughts or they're blogging or you know, making entries or whatever and type of journaling. And so people do a lot of different things online. But if we're not careful, if we're being honest this morning, there is the ability to put your best self out there online. You just kind of You put who the best version of you is. You put the best version of what you can actually be out there. And then you post something and you get, you know, a like or a comment or a, heaven forbid, a share. And and you you get that and and there's a little bit of something that happens in you. You go, wow, okay, somebody likes that. Somebody affirms that. Somebody responded to that. Somebody found value in what I posted. And so then we begin creating that We've got to stay in, in that mode of the persona that we're creating, and so we begin trying to play this role. We become an actor in our own lives in the persona of whatever it is that we're portraying online. Let me just let me give you an example. I'll tell on myself. This last week, I got a haircut, and uh, you know, so I was I was wanting to show my wife, who was not there when I got the haircut, what my haircut looked like, and and I I didn't post it online. I I, I was not going to post it online, but I was just gonna snap a picture and, and shoot it to my wife. And so I got to the house. I thought she'd be there. She wasn't there yet. She was still probably 20 minutes away. And so I said, hey, you know, I got this haircut. I'm actually talking to her on the phone. And I said, I got, I got my haircut. And she was like, yeah, you know, I was the one that scheduled the appointment for you last week. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. And so I, I said, hey, I'll snap a picture and show you. I think it looks okay. And so I'm standing in front of the mirror in the downstairs bathroom of our house and I snapped a picture. And it looked like this. I'm still eating the sucker. I'm still eating the sucker from the haircut place. I'm, I'm, st- I'm like, I'm just, hey, I'm going to show you what my hair looks like. And I looked at that picture and I thought, I don't like that picture. I look bug-eyed and I'm not really, I don't want to send that to my wife. And so I took another one and I tried to get the hair at the top of the picture. And then I was like, well, I cut off part of my head, so I don't like that. And I'm looking up. I'm not even looking at the camera. So then I tried to lower my head a little bit. I don't know if you can see I'm kind of hunched over then. And so I took this picture, but I still cut off the top of my head just a little bit. And now the phone's kind of up over my face. So I took another picture and now I've covered my, I didn't realize when I was trying to get the head in the picture that I raised the phone and now it's in front of my face. And I'm like, well, she likes my face. I don't want to send her a picture where my face is invisible to her. So I took a last one and this is what I sent her, which is pretty much exactly like the first one. <laughs> but now I'm staring at the camera and you look at that and you go, well, that is so dumb. Okay. It is. I agree. It's my wife. Didn't post it anywhere, but I sent her this version and didn't send her the other four, right? So if you would be honest this morning, how many of you have taken more than one version of a picture before you posted it somewhere? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. If you would be honest, how many of you have taken more than three versions of a picture before you posted it somewhere? How many of you? More than five? More than 10? More than 20? There are people in this room right now who are going to hell for lying. I mean, they're, they're, I know that they are, and it's okay. It's all right. So this is what happens. We, 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 we snap a picture. It doesn't look like we want it to look like, and so we snap another picture, and we snap another picture, and we snap until we find the perfect version of what we want to portray, and then here's what we do. We don't post it. Then we filter it, and we add some things on top of it, which makes our skin look flawless. 
right? And everything, the, the coloring, the, it's, it's amazing. And that's what we post, right? And then we get likes and comments and shares. And why do we do this? Because 62% of adults worldwide have reported that they have better self-esteem after they get some type of positive social media feedback. 62% of adults worldwide report better self-esteem after positive social media feedback. We post something, we get some positive feedback, it makes us feel better. And the same could happen in life. You do something and someone compliments you and you feel better. The problem is that they've got to compliment what you just did in real time, but you can post the best of you online and it's easier to generate some likes or comments or shares or responses. Or... And so we, we start to do that. Studies are being done now, and they've been done over the last few years, that when you get some type of response on social media, it produces the chemical in you of dopamine. Dopamine is what's produced when you win money, right? Or you get a hug from someone that you admire. That kind of chemical response happens when you get a like, a share, a comment, some type of positive feedback online. And that chemical reaction inside of your body that is produced, here's what happens. It gives you a little bit of a high. It gives you this, oh, that was nice. That was, I, I'm so thankful that someone noticed me and they like me. And so you try to create content to do it again. And you try to create content to do it again, to get that type of reaction again and to get that type of reaction again and again and again and again, and it's a pathological pursuit for reward or relief from a life where you don't get that kind of response in real time. It's an addiction. We're just talking about online, but it's, it's an addiction because that's really the way that we live our lives. We want people to notice, and so then, even in real time, even in our lives, we are now performing to generate a perception about us. We put ourselves behind a mask. We don't allow ourselves to be vulnerable. We don't open up about our true feelings and our true emotions and our shortcomings and the things that we fail at. We only put our successes out there and we're left to be somebody that we actually aren't. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 6. He was in the very first sermon of his ministry and he was helping the people there to understand his teaching and the way that he wanted them to conduct their lives. And he challenges them about the way that God the Father sees them and how he sees the things that they would do. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand see, is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus wanted us to know that there was a difference between how you present yourself and what actually gets rewarded. What actually gets the heart of the Father to respond to you. God doesn't respond to your performance for perception's sake. He responds to authentic pursuit of Him. Authentic pursuit of righteousness. Authentic pursuit of 
right living, right standing, doing what is right, caring for the needs of people, putting one foot in front of the other and taking one step at a time in pursuit of him to make sure that you are saying, I'm not worried about what everybody else is saying, what everybody else may think. I am only focused on you. He says, that's the kind of heart that gets rewarded. It's not about raising your status so that other people say, hey, you're somebody. You have good standing. You have something that I admire. You are important. Saying, no, no, no. Putting all that aside and focusing completely and wholly on God the Father. Say, God, I only, only live for you. That's what's important to me. I'm not going to project something that's not real. I'm not going to put forward something that's not, you know, the the best version of me. I'm just going to be authentic. I'm going to be who I truly am. Am. I found out something this week as I was studying, and I did some study, obviously, about social media and about life and the way that we live, and, and I found out something I didn't know. Many of you probably knew this. I'm probably showing my age for anybody that's younger than me. I didn't know that people created fake Instagram accounts. I had no clue. Now, I knew that there were parody accounts where people did funny things, and they did it behind the, the curtain of you know, somebody else, but I read this study that talked about that as many as 40% of those under the age of 25 have two Instagram accounts. One they call a Rinsta, and one they call a Finsta. Even saying that makes me sound stupid. A Rinsta is your real Instagram account, which everybody knows about. Your mom follows you, your dad follows you, your teachers follow you, your friends follow you, your, your boss follows you. That's your real Instagram. Your Finsta is your fake Instagram, and it's locked, and it's only for those that are closest to you, and you are more real on there. It's not the edited, filtered, you know, best version of you. It's, it's you and all your flaws. And as I read about this, I read about this phenomenon. I read several articles to look at the difference in Rinsta and Finsta and all the things that people were projecting there. It says that Finsta pics, those fake Instagram, the ones that are hidden from most people, are actually a lot more real than anything posted on people's Rinsta or their real Instagram, which is actually what most people see. Hannah Hooper, a 19-year-old from Little Rock, Arkansas, is leading the charge, didn't even know this was a charge, leading the charge to swap the two terms or at least merge more Finsta into Insta. She said, I actually made the hashtag bring Finsta to Rinsta. This is what she said. She said, it's, it's just all backward." Because we call our fake Instagram our Finsta, but in reality, the Finsta is more real representation of who we are. She said, because on our Finsta, we're real, but on our Rinsta, we're fake. This is what she said. She said that she's made a concerted effort to post more Finsta-type comment to her Rinsta, and has so far seen a positive return. I've gotten way more likes than I expected, she said, when I show the real me to more people. So, if I understand this phenomenon, there's a fake Instagram account where you get to be real. And there's a real Instagram account where you have to be fake. I'm, I'm kind of in agreement with Hannah Hooper. I think we need to hashtag that one backwards. Like, we need to bring more fence to the Rinsta. Like, I, I'm on board with that. I'm going to start hashtagging everything I post, bring more fence to the Rinsta. Like, I'm on board with that because it seems like if we're, if we're being real, it should be real. And if we're being fake, it should be fake. But it doesn't seem to be that way. And you say, well, I don't even know what Instagram is. <laughs> or I don't have a Finsta. I just got a fax machine. I'm not really sure. <laughs> here's, what I, here's what I thought about when I read 
several articles related to this. People truly do respond to authenticity. People truly do. They, they really want to know who you are, flaws and all. They, they want to know that you are the kind of person that doesn't have it all together. Because if you seem to be somebody that has it all together, they're not really sure that they can relate to you. And as you're building relationships with people and you're really trying to connect to people on a deep emotional level, they want to know who you actually are. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 6. He says, listen, God is not concerned with your finsta, right? Or your rinsta. He, he, he wants you to be real. And don't just do something so that other people see you and go, oh, I admire you. Your importance, your standing's going up. No, no, no. Just be you. Be authentically you all the time. And if you do that, God will reward that. God will respond to that. God is concerned with your heart. God is concerned with your authenticity. God is concerned with who you actually are and not who you are projecting yourself to be. Pastor Stephen Furtick from Charlotte, North Carolina says it this way. God can't bless who you pretend to be. God can't bless who you pretend to be. You want God's blessing, you want God's favor, you want God to do things in your life, and yet the problem is that you are projecting something that is inauthentic. You're doing what he called the hypocrites there. He, you're doing what the hypocrites did. You, you're making sure that when you pray, you pray loudly so people admire your spirituality. That when you fast, you, you make sure that everybody knows you're fasting, and man, look at me, why are you so weak? Because I'm fasting, I'm giving it all to God. And he said, no, 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 wash your face, put oil on. Fix your hair. Put on nice clothes. Don't even let them know that you're doing something in solemn worship to God. When you serve the needy, when you are in pursuit of righteousness, you do so in authenticity that says, I am about serving God and doing what's right, and I'm asking God to bless that. Not, I want people to think I have better standing or importance in life than what I actually have. God cannot bless who you pretend to be, but it's not just about God's blessing. It's also about the people in our lives. As we pursue these people loving us and accepting us and seeing us for something that we want them to see us for, I would say it this way, people can't really love the fake you. People can't really love the fake you. And, and the capitalization there is on purpose. If you want somebody to fake love you, then just be fake with them. And they'll just love the fake you with a fake love that's completely conditional on what you're projecting. But if you want somebody to really love you, you got to be real. you got to be who you are. You've got to allow them to see you in your successes and in your failures. You've got you've to be who you actually are. You've got to be authentic. And if you are real, then they can determine if they really Love you. That's what God did. Here, here's, here's the thing. God loved you before you could be fake. You know that? I say it a lot. I quote it a lot. This says that we can know the love of God because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He, he died for you while you were really a sinner. He died for you before you could 
project something better than you were, before you could put on airs, as my grandmother says a lot, before you could act like something that you aren't, before you could show up to church and you know that on the inside of you there is turmoil and the seas are rumbling and the winds are swirling and you're not sure how you're going to make it, but when somebody looks at you and says, how you doing? You go, I'm doing great. Blessed and highly favored of the Lord, you know? No, you're not. It's, you just hide behind the mask. You hide behind the fake persona that you've created that you don't want anybody to know. There's mess here. There's imperfection here. There are problems here. You say, why isn't God blessing me? Because God can't bless who you pretend to be. And you say, well, why aren't people connecting to me? Why, why do all of my relationships seem surface? Why can't I really get deep with people? Why can't people really truly love me? Because people can't really love the fake you. You, you got to take off the mask and you got to go, listen, I, I'm, I'm merging the two accounts here. <laughs> my rent's just coming to Finsta or whatever. But I mean, I'm bringing it all together and I'm just going to be who I really am. Flaws and all, unfiltered. This is me. This is the best of me. This is the worst of me. This is who I really am. And I want you to love me. I want you to accept me. I want you to think I'm somebody. I want you to think I have something to contribute. But ultimately, I am asking God to bless me, the real me. And I'm asking you to love the real me. The real me. Instead of this pathological pursuit towards reward or relief. That's saying, I want to project something that I know will be rewarded but isn't really true. Or I want to escape to relief and, and, and find some way out because I don't love the life that I'm living. I don't love the way I'm accepted. I don't love the way I'm treated. So I create this second persona. I create this alternative universe of who I am. No, no, no. I'm just... I'm saying, God, I want to be real and I want you to help me and bless me and reward me even when others don't see it. And I'm going to choose to be as real as I can with as many people as I can so that they have the opportunity to really choose whether they love the real me or not. And I would rather have a few people love the real me than have a lot of people love the fake me. So here's the question today as we conclude this series as we conclude this three weeks of really trying to pursue authenticity, where are you being inauthentic? Where are you being inauthentic? And here's what I mean by that. Where does the outside not match the inside? Where are you projecting something that's a little better than what's happening on the inside of you? Where are you being inauthentic? You might could even say it in a little harsher way. Where are you lying? Where are you just not being truthful? Where are you being inauthentic? Because here's, here's the reality. We know God loves you anyway. God loved you in spite of all this stuff that you're projecting. God loved you first. He initiated love towards you. He doesn't love you anymore if you get a thousand likes or no likes. He doesn't love you any less if you post it without the filters. Come offline for a minute. He doesn't love you any less if you mess up, if you make mistakes, if you actually are imperfect, right? He, he doesn't love you any less because he loved you first. 
He loved you first. He loved you before. And he loved you completely, unconditionally. He, he just loves you unconditionally. And I guess everybody understood it, but it took me a while in my life to fully understand what that term meant. It means that there is no condition on his love. It means that he doesn't love you when you're good, but he loves you less when you're bad. No, no, no. He just loves you completely, wholly. There is no condition that must be met. And here's how you can know that. Because Jesus came because God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so today we take communion to conclude this series. We do so for two or three reasons here. One of those reasons is that Jesus asked us to do this in remembrance of him. The second reason is that we are set free. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So today we take part in the elements which include a symbolic blood, the blood that forgives us, the blood that sets us free, the blood that is enough to cover all of our imperfections. And the third reason that we take communion today is because to conclude this series, I want to give you an opportunity to truly ask God to help you find freedom, freedom like never before. To lean into that beautiful name of Jesus that we've been singing about today and we're going to sing about in a minute and say, God, I am asking you to let it really be true what you say in your word. That the name of Jesus is enough for me to find freedom. And so I call on the name of Jesus today to break free from addiction, whether that be some type of addiction to pleasure or an addiction to busyness or an addiction to social status. I want to be authentic. I want what's on the inside of me to match what I'm projecting on the outside of me. And so today, as I take these elements in my hand, as the band leads us in worship, I'm going to take the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and reunite them inside of my life. And I'm going to ask Christ to be the center of everything that I am. And as he's the center of everything that I am, I'm asking him to help me to live authentically so that he's also what I project with my life. And some people won't like it. And some people will walk away. But that's okay. Because God can't bless who you pretend to be. And people can't really love the fake you. So today we're asking God to help us to be real and that his blessings would follow and that real relationships and real love, unconditional love from others would find its way into our heart. I'm gonna pray and then they're gonna distribute these elements. You take these elements as you want to during this last song. We won't come back to instruct you. You take them as you want. God, we thank you today for this series. We thank you for the idea that we can find freedom from addiction. We thank you that God, your son Jesus came to the earth. He lived and he died. He was perfect. He was blameless. He was without sin. And so God, now we take these elements in remembrance of you. We take these elements because the blood of the lamb helps us to find freedom from addiction. And we take these elements because we believe that that's one more step in trying to live a more authentic life. Taking these elements into our body, we believe helps us to reflect you more and more in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.